So we had just finished up with this particular slide here, talking about measures of renal function. So the first measure of renal function that we have is BUN. Now, if BUN is low, what does that mean? If it's low, what does that mean? <laughs> Nothing necessarily. If it's high, what could it mean? Say again? Hyperglemia? No, BUN? No, it's hyperbuinemia. <laughs> So, but what does it mean if your BUN is high? It could mean that the patient is dehydrated, or it could mean that the kidneys are not filtering enough. So that would be a possible sign of renal insufficiency. What are the two things you should automatically think of anytime you see a high BUN? Dehydration and kidney insufficiency. Now. BUN by itself is usually going to be more towards dehydration. If it goes in combination with another lab value, what lab value would that be? Creatinine. If they're both high, that's more likely a sign of kidney insufficiency or renal insufficiency. Now, what kind of patient can we not trust the creatinine level in? Elderly patients. Do you want to know how old? I don't know, but it's basically above 65. All right, electrolytes. What do we say meant if sodium, potassium, and chloride are all three high? What's the most likely thing going on? Renal insufficiency. Now, we're talking about causes here, causes. So these, if all three of these are high, sodium, <laughs> potassium, and chloride, it's a very good sign that maybe the kidneys are not doing their job properly. Now, what do we say happened in a patient who has an incompetent kidney? What will happen to sodium? Cannot concentrate urine properly. What will happen? Say again? Nope, the opposite. Say again? The sodium will decrease because when they drink water, it all washes out. Remember that? Do you remember we talked about that? Fluid restrictions. Kara told us a story about a patient who had some disease. Do you remember what it was? No, I don't. I know I had, she had renal problems. Okay. So some patients with renal, with renal problems have the opposite problem, <laughs> where their kidneys will wash out all of their sodium. What's the treatment for that kind of patient? Okay, more sodium or, no, it's not dialysis. They're, they're peeing just fine. In fact, they're peeing too well. Water restriction. So fluid restriction is what we're going to do for that patient. Does this, does this remember, you guys remember this at all from yesterday? Okay, well, that's why it's podcasted. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I feel your pain, but at the same time, this is a marathon. It, it doesn't do any good to win the sprint and lose the race. 
So, that's why we podcast. Listen to the podcast. All right. What is GFR? Glomerular filtration rate. So, if that goes below 60, it's considered renal insufficiency. If it goes below 30, that's considered renal failure. Creatinine clearance is a way to measure the true amount of creatinine being produced and filtered. What's the most typical way of doing a creatinine clearance? 24-hour urine. Remember how we do that? Discard the first and put the rest on ice. Um, another way we can do it is we can estimate creatinine clearance, and there's a formula for that. Urine volume. What's the minimum normal urine output? 30 milliliters per hour. So if you have a patient who's going to the bathroom four times a day and they're producing 400 milliliters each time, are they normal or are they under? Four times a day, 400 milliliters each time. Are they under or over? How did you know? Four times a day is every six hours. And if they produced 400 each time, so 400 divided by six would be? Something like 70 something. So that would be above 30, it's normal. Congratulations. And finally, urinalysis. And we talked about some of the things we can look for on urinalysis, color, odor, protein, glucose, ketones, urobilinogen, specific gravity. Um, as far as the normal values for these, um, for protein, what's the normal value? None. For glucose? For ketones? For urobilinogen, don't worry about it. For specific gravity, that's a range of numbers. It depends on the it depends on the source, and you can write this down. Yeah, see, one of the issues we have is all of your textbooks are slightly different, and so we want to try and come up with numbers we can use throughout the program. So we're still in the process of finding those out for <laughs> specific gravity. The numbers that I'm used to is 1.003 to 1.030, but what? But I'm just saying that's the numbers I'm used to. Yeah. But again, for generalities for now, I will not give you a number that's between 0.125 and 0. .1.030. It'll be definitely up or definitely low. Okay. But everyone had 1.003. Is that correct? Forget it. Well, <laughs> all right. Osmolality. Um, I'm not going to ask you to know that. Um, pH, this one you should know, but again, we're going to have to decide on that. RBCs, how many RBCs should there normally be? None. WBCs, none. Casts, none. Culture, none. Okay. What is a cast? It's a type of crystal structure. Why would you get that? Because you're producing crystals in your urine? Did you say you want to produce crystals in your urine? It hurts. <laughs> okay, so 
What we're going to do the rest of, of today's class is we're going to talk about renal and urinary disorders. So, first thing we have are infections, commonly known as UTIs. So, cystitis. What is the cyst? That's itis. The bladder. Pyelonephritis. It's of the kidney itself. Now, I heard someone say kidney stones and... Pyelonephritis is an inflammation of the kidneys. Urethritis is of the urethra. Um, prostatitis of the prostate. Epididymitis of the epididymis. And PID, everyone's favorite. Pelvic inflammatory disease. What is pelvic inflammatory disease, by the way? Do you remember from health assessment? When the pelvis is inflamed, it's a very good definition. But what is it? It's typically an infection of the uterus and cervix. So bacteria have penetrated through the cervix and have begun multiplying inside the uterus. All right, now of the kidney itself, we're going to talk about two diseases, glomerulonephritis and nephrotic syndrome. Then we're going to talk about calculi, which is the fancy name for saying stones or, or crystals in the urine. And then we're going to talk about some renal failures. We're going to talk about acute tubular necrosis, acute renal failure, and chronic renal failure. No, they're different. But we don't need to know the difference now. All right, infectious diseases. All right, now, what is this thing right here? The bladder. Anything bladder and down is considered lower urinary tract. Ureter and up is considered upper tract. So for the lower tract, the drug of choice is TMPSMZ is what it should should be. I can never remember. SMX, SMZ. What is that? What is SEPTRA? It's a combination of those two. What are those two? Okay, trimethoprim and sulfamethoxazole. And what, what do each of those do? They work together by inhibiting folic acid synthesis in bacteria. In bacteria. They mimic PABA, yeah. All right, good job. And the next drug of choice is fluoroquinolones. So give me an example of a fluoroquinolone. Give me two. Say again? Uh, tell Sandy in the back. Did you hear that? Yeah, say, say, it, say it back there. Go. No, we don't want to care about that. The first one. Cipro, good one, ciprofloxacin and levofloxacin. Those are the two most common, the two that you really need to know. Others like moxie, well, you got moxie, baby. That's okay, that's more used outpatient. You might see it inpatient too. But by far, cipro and levo are the most common ones. All right, in the upper tract, we've got the pyelonephritis, which is inflammation of the parenchyma. Ooh, fun word. What is parenchyma? Functional tissue, as opposed to 
<laughs> okay, non-functional. And what would the non-functional tissue be there for? Okay, could be there for storage, or it could be there for structure and strength. So as opposed to the structure and strength tissue, we're talking about the functional tissue. So the actual, what is the functional unit of the kidney? The nephrons. We're talking about is actual infection of the nephrons. Very painful. How do we test for this in the, in the clinic or in the hospital? Symptom-wise. You're, you're doing this? What's that called? Testing for CVA tenderness. And what is the CVA? Costo vertebral angle. What does costo mean? Rib. And what does vertebral mean? Vertebrae. So where the ribs and the vertebrae come together. Because that's where your kidneys are. All right. Um, usually you only have one side, but I guess you could have both. Um, some of these are, some of these diseases are what they call ascending. So comes in here, ends up in the bladder, and then travels upwards to the kidney. That is called an ascending infection. Some of them come from the blood, so there's bacteria in the blood, and then they settle in the kidney. All right, then we have something called interstitial cystitis, sometimes called the fake UTI. Because patients will have symptoms of UTI, but you do your analysis on them and there's no bacteria. So, oh, they don't have a UTI. So this is where you actually have bacteria kind of, or inflammation living in, not living, you just have inflammation of the bladder cells, which mimics a UTI, but it's not truly an infection at all. Why What? Good question. We don't need to know that for now. All right. Um, what we've done here in this slide is this is a ureter, and this is a kidney that has been butterflied and is about to be. No, we're not going to grill that and eat that. But what we did was we, we basically butterflied it like you would butterfly a filet mignon. So. Mmm, -mm, delicious. All right. Now, what do you think the treatment for glomerulonephritis is? There's not a glomerulonephritis. What do you think the treatment for pyelonephritis is? Antibiotic. Good call. And which ones might we use? Say again. Okay, ciprofloxacin. Give me another one. Levofloxacin. Give me another one. Okay, probably wouldn't use SEPTRA for an infection that severe. More for the regular UTIs. Say again? Nope. What do we like to use in the emergency room? Say again? Ceftriaxone. So those are three pretty good bets that you might see in a patient with or pyelonephritis. All right, next one is glomerulonephritis. Now, glomerulonephritis is going to depend on a few different things. Basically, it's an inflammation of the glomerulus itself. Now, it's going to depend on the extent of damage, the etiology, and the extent of morphological changes. What do we mean by morphological changes? Scar tissue in this case. But yes, 
the shape of the cells. I don't know how they found this stuff out. I just pass along the information. Magic. <laughs> okay. Now, the mechanism, the mechanism of the damage is immune. So, there's two types. Type 2 and type 3. All right. Now, type 2, what is it? Type 2, what is it? You guys should have learned this way back in Patho Farm 1. Who's your teacher? I'm going to have to talk with that guy. Type 2 autoimmune damage? Hypersensitivity? Oh. Antibodies against the glomerulus. And that's the name of that is cytotoxic. Well, if you were so right there, why didn't you speak up? Not so anyone could hear. Type 3, what is type 3? Not cell-mediated. We, we do this game every time I ask this question. <laughs> One day, you guys are just going to go, boom, and spell out the answer, and I'm going to, like, die of a heart attack. <laughs> But it will be a happy death. So, what is type 3? The immune part was right, but not the compromise. Immune complex. Okay. So, antibody immune complex, antibody antigen complex, from some infection somewhere else in the body. It gets deposited in the glomerulus and then causes inflammation, and collateral damage. What is collateral damage? Right. So like if I'm really mad at Amy and I punch her and hit Kara too, that would be, hitting Kara by accident would be the collateral damage. So you should take karate so you can be more precise in the people you hit. So that's type three. So, in both cases, what's the source of the damage to the glomerulus? Immune. So, this is essentially immune problem. How do you think we're going to treat it? Okay, we're going to suppress inflammation and possibly the immune system itself. And what would be the drug of choice for that? Oh, yes. And give me the name of one. What? Okay, cortisone is one we could use, but it's kind of weak. So, let's give a stronger one. Hydrocortisone also weak. Prednisone could be one. But now, how do we give prednisone? Okay, well, yeah, but... I mean, route. PO. Now, PO is kind of slow to work, and you can't get that high that quickly. So let's, what would we use that would be like we give IV? Methylprednisolone. What's the other name for that? You can't mumble it and expect me to hear it. <laughs> so, methylprednisolone, what's the other name for it? Solumedrol. Now, for most drugs, for most drugs, you really don't need to know both names, but you're going to hear solumedrol so much in the hospital 
that I really think that that's one you'll you do yourself a favor to just go ahead and learn that too. Question there? Um, saw you, S L S O L U, dash Medrol. It doesn't always have a dash. <laughs> you don't have to have a dash. <laughs> And for Monday, people, what is solumedrol's claim to fame as far as preparing it, preparing to give it IV? We learned this yesterday. What's the secret? What do you have to do to it before you can give it IV? You have to reconstitute it. Becomes comes as a powder. So smart, some of you. All of you. Everyone is smart here. Some of us just want to hide it so they can look cool. All right. Okay, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Okay, now here are some causes of acute glomerulonephritis. One is acute post-streptococcal. Now, what do we say is associated with untreated streptococcus infection? Rheumatoid arthritis. Or, sorry, acute rheumatic fever, sorry. Acute rheumatic fever, but also, say, say what you said again. No, you said endocarditis. Or was someone, someone over here said endocarditis. Yeah, all right. Your honesty is very appreciated. All right, so endocarditis is where the bacteria come and live on your endocardium. We can also have them start living in, or we have damage being done to the glomerulus. Good pastures syndrome. I forget what that is. Who's got a PDA? Go, go, PDA drill. What is good pasture syndrome? By the way, who here has a blackberry? Okay, um, we have one BlackBerry user who successfully installed the program. How come the rest of you haven't? So, a rare autoimmune illness. So, good pasture syndrome is an autoimmune disease. In autoimmune diseases, we attack our own bodies. And also, in rapidly progressing acute renal failure. Um, also can cause nephrotic syndrome. Now, let's talk about nephrotic syndrome for a moment. A third of, the, a third of it is because of diseases like diabetes mellitus and systemic lupus erythematosus. Two-thirds of nephrotic syndrome is idiopathic. Now, what is nephrotic syndrome, you're asking yourself? Go ahead and ask. Well, yourself is going to answer, it's an increased permeability to protein. Now, how much protein is normally in urine? Zero, because how much gets filtered out? Zero. But in nephrotic syndrome, guess what starts happening? Starts filtering protein. Now, what is protein in charge of doing in your blood? <laughs> in the plasma. <laughs> Osmotic pressure, which pulls blood water into blood. Now, if when you filter that blood in your kidneys, you push those proteins out, What's that going to do to the osmotic pressure of the urine in the kidney? 
is going to increase it. So what's that going to do to water? Is it going to pull water into the kidney or is it going to push water out? Okay, let's go through this again. What's the purpose of protein in the plasma? Osmotic pressure. Now, does osmotic pressure pull water into it? Yes. Now, that osmotic pressure is now being transferred into the kidney because we're losing proteins into the kidney. So it's going to pull water into the kidney. And what is that going to do to our poor patient? Oh, their kidneys are not going to burst. <laughs> but we're going to have a lot more dia uh, diuresis. Not diarrhea, diuresis. And that diuresis is going to make our patient dehydrated. So these patients are at extreme risk for, de for dehydration. Also, as we drain proteins out of the plasma, what are we going to do to the plasma osmotic pressure? It's going to go down, which is going to make what more likely to happen? Edema. And that will make our patients even worse in terms of dehydration. So very dangerous disease right here. The treatment is we're going to give ACE inhibitors, NSAIDs, and sodium protein restriction. All right, next disease, rhabdomyolysis. Now, what does the word myo mean? Muscle. What does the word lysis mean? Destroy. So we're going to destroy muscle. Don't ask me what the rhabdo means. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, don't ask me. So rhabdomyolysis, we're going to have a breakdown of muscle. And muscle is primarily made up of protein. So we're going to have an enormous amount of protein in the blood. And where does a quarter of blood go? The kidneys. Because we're doing the kidney right now. That would be the yeah, okay. So, to the kidneys. Now, can the kidneys filter protein ordinarily? No. So what's going to happen to all that excess protein? It's going to clog up the kidneys, causing acute renal failure. And patients can die from this. I actually had a patient die from this uh, when I was at Shands. A uh, patient had rhabdo, and they're doing, they had done a muscle biopsy to try and find out why their muscles were breaking down. And then, you know, she basically just died that night. It was a fun night, let me tell you. No, it was a horrible night. <laughs> All right. So it can lead to kidney failure and death. And what do you think the treatment for this would be? Do we have a treatment where we can suck a person's blood out? And then remove excess protein and then put the blood back in? Dialysis is not exactly the answer. It's close, but it's a different process. We use it for patients with another disease where there's too much protein in their blood. It was a cancer that we talked about at the very end of, okay, a certain type of leukemia. What would that be? What's the, what's the number one protein in our blood? What's number two? Fibrinogen is number three, so you're still missing number two. Immunoglobulins, and what produces them? B cells or plasma cells, mature B cells, 
N is do we know of a cancer that would be cancer of plasma cells? Yes, yes we do. And what is that? Myeloma or multiple myeloma. So what's the treatment for that? What do we do to reduce the amount of protein? Do you remember? See, collectively, you guys are pretty smart. <laughs> okay, well, yes, but to decrease the protein levels, what do we do? Want a hint? Plasmaphoresis. Now, I know you probably wouldn't have guessed that, so why did I take you on that goose chase back through myeloma? No, you do know it. Well, it is slightly illustrative of why you need to remember that stuff, but the real reason why is because it's the same treatment. And what does the treatment do? Removes excess protein from the blood. Um, P-H-O-R-E-S-I-S. 